Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Last week, President Harris and I stood in the United States Capitol to observe one of those before and after moments in American history. January 6th insurrection on the citadel of our democracy. Today, we come to Atlanta, the cradle of civil rights, to make clear what must come after that dreadful day when a dagger was literally held at the throat of American democracy. Was it, Joe? More of Joe Biden's incredibly over-the-top speech uh, coming up next segment. That was an effort to somehow tie the utterly unconstitutional and unnecessary voting rights thing to, to January 6th somehow. I happened to come across a couple of really eloquent pieces of writing about January 6th just in the last couple of days. And as I mentioned to Jack earlier, it's funny. Uh, part of me thinks, wow, that's that's uh, way out of date. Nobody's talking about this anymore. It was barely a week ago, okay? If this is the, the dagger held at the throat of democracy, for instance, I think it's probably okay to think about it for a little while. <laughs> Just crazy. Anyway, the one piece of writing that I thought was so good was by a woman by the name of Janet, Jenna Stocker, and we don't have a lot of time for it. But she talks about um, on May 31st, 2020 it was her wedding anniversary with her husband um and he was she was out running errands um and and he called her to say hey it's going to take me a while to pick up her prescriptions our walgreens is burned to the ground and she talks about how her city was decimated uh, she's a minneapolisian how her city was decimated just burnt and and all the violence and the horror and the incredible toll all of that political violence took on uh so many good people who own small businesses and she goes into their individual stories and stuff like that boy you talk about an underreported story of of uh, how many businesses disappeared and how many have come back i'm sure plenty of them haven't in cities all across america that were burnt down during the george floyd riots yeah And she goes into chapter and verse of the incredible damage done and how there was not only no resistance to that political violence, but it was encouraged over and over again. And people were getting an increasing feeling of desperation. Now, this is not making an excuse for anything, but as Jack and I have been saying forever, if you allow a certain level of political violence, you're just going to get more and more and more. That's the nature of violence. And she mentions, and I think this was a really good insight. While the residents of Minneapolis were trapped inside a burning city, D.C. elites put up rows of barriers and barbed wire to keep people out. When Senator Tom Cotton wrote an op-ed in the New York Times calling for military intervention to restore order, it was condemned, and the editor who gave it the green light was forced out. You remember that? Oh, yeah. When Tom Cotton said, look, we've got to protect our homes and our businesses, and if it takes the National Guard, we need to use that, that was so, quote-unquote, controversial the editor who said yeah go ahead and print it got forced out of his job after the january 6th riot tellingly referred to by somber-faced journalists as an insurrection and domestic terrorism the national guard was stationed in dc for months the narcissism is just staggering anyway i wish we had time for that whole thing but i thought that was really good and well-written ma'am and then to my surprise glenn greenwald wrote a piece published on his uh, Substack column recently entitled The Histrionics and Melodrama Around 1-6 Are Laughable. 
but they serve several key purposes. Seb headline, as Kamala Harris compares 1-6 to 9-11 and Nancy Pelosi introduces the cast of Hamilton to sing about democracy, today's inanity, stupidity, should not obscure its dangers. And he makes the point that while the January 6th thing was troubling in a lot of different ways, number one, you can't rush the House of Representatives or the Senate and stop elections being certified. It's an idiotic notion, and it never should have gotten started. I'm 100% down with that notion. Um, And the idea of smashing cops in the face with American flags makes me want to vomit. There's no excuse for it, none whatsoever. But Glenn Glenn Greenwald, whose name I do pronounce Glenn Greenwald at (laughs) least half the time, (laughs) says, the number of people killed by pro-Trump supporters at the January 6th Capitol riot is equal to the number of pro-Trump supporters who brandished guns or knives inside the Capitol. Zero. Same number as the total of Americans who, after a full year of Democrat-led DOJ conducting what is heralded as the most expensive federal law enforcement investigation in U.S. history, have been charged with inciting erection. Uh, insurrection. There what you was go. that? Run that tape forever. <laughs> Gren, Gren Gleenwald talking about erections. <laughs> oh, well, his point is, it's the same zero number. Nobody has been charged with insurrection, sedition, treason, treason, conspiracy to overthrow the government. Not a single person. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't been as into the what do you call it thing as some people have been. Right. I think that's a lot of wasted energy, honestly. But do you get to call it an insurrection if not a single person has been charged with insurrection? Probably no. not. No, it was just a riot. Coincidentally, it's the same number of Americans who ended up being criminally charged by the Mueller probe of conspiring with Russia over the 2016 election. And the number of wounds, grave or light, which AOC, uh, who emerged finally to assure the nation she was okay, actually suffered on that fateful day. The numbers are zero. But just as these rather crucial facts do not prevent the dominant wing of the U.S. corporate media and Democratic Party leaders from continuing to insist that Donald Trump's 2016 election was illegitimate, due to his collusion with the Kremlin. It also does not prevent January 6th from being widely described in those same circles as an insurrection, an attempted coup, and an event as traumatizing as Pearl Harbor. 2,400 dead. Or the 9-11 attack. Almost 3,000 dead. And as the gravest attack on American democracy since the mid-19th century Civil War, 750,000 dead. The Huffington Post's White House reporter SV Date said it was wrong to compare 1 6 to 9 11 because 1 6 was 1000% worse. A three hour riot at the Capitol. Indeed, when it comes to melodrama, histrionics, and the exploitation of fear levels from the 1 6 riot, there's never been any apparent limit. And today, the one year anniversary, he wrote it obviously last week, there's no apparent end in sight. Too many political and media elites are far too vested in this maximalist narrative for them to relinquish it voluntarily. The orgy of psychodrama today was so much worse and more pathetic than I expected, and I expected it to be extremely bad and pathetic. Then he goes into a number of angles, including everybody hugging Dick Cheney. Everybody on the left worshipping Dick Cheney as some because, sort of paragraph, because paragon. <laughs> he showed up to the moment of silence in the House. No other Republicans were there except for him and Liz, his daughter, Liz Cheney. And I didn't see that. So Democrats were hugging Darth Vader? Shaking his hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old saying, politics makes for strange bedfellows. Maybe never more apt than there. Yeah. If you're old enough, do you remember how the left felt about Dick Cheney? 
during the Bush years. Now they're hugging him. Wow. (laughs) That's hilarious. Nancy Pelosi gravely introduced Lin-Manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton to sermonize and sing about the importance of American democracy. That was just weird and schmaltzy on the level that made me vomit. The Huffington Post senior political uh, reporter Igor Bobik unironically expressed gratitude, quote, for the four-legged emotional support professionals roaming the Capitol this week, helping officers, staffers, and reporters alike, meaning therapy dogs. Uh, Unsurprisingly, but still repellently, Kamala Harris compared 1-6 to 9-11. And he goes into how the exaggeration and the whipping up of fear has been a tool over and over and over again to grab more power. Now, Glenn Greenwald's great jihad is against the security state. Right. The overreach of the CIA, the FBI, and its excesses, the NSA, and that sort of thing. And he points out that every time this happens, where some minor threat or even a significant th- threat is multiplied to many, many, many times its significance, it always flows in the same direction toward the quashing of free speech, the free exercise of all of our rights. And just don't fall for this crap. You can be pissed off at the riot. You can think it was ugly, but stop trying to change the nature of the Bill of Rights based on a three-hour riot. I sure as hell appreciate Mr. Greenwald. By the way, there's like 14 more pages of this, but that'll do. Um, Most of that rhetoric, if not all of it, from the left was to try to put pressure on America to go for the voting rights bills that are out there right now which is what even though there is no logical you know chain between those two things no there's not so uh that's what joe biden was talking about yesterday we'll play some of that for you and maybe some mitt romney response to that coming up in just a second i wanted to mention this china is building an artificial moon so i don't know if that bothers anybody um they've built islands big they've built islands in the ocean now they're building an artificial moon now come on china Actually, they're building it here on Earth, uh, and it's a project to um, create, to make gravity disappear. They're working on a project to make gravity disappear. Hmm. That would be inconvenient in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I don't know if that's a weapon. All of a sudden, we're floating around, and they can do whatever they want. On the other hand, now I can hit my 7-iron 700 miles. Or dunk a basketball, Finally. Finally. Um, wouldn't my life be better if I could dunk a basketball? It's funny, my buddy and I, I was at his house the other day, and he he could dunk a basketball like uh, nobody's business back when we were younger. Um, behind his head and everything. And uh, he's got a basketball goal in his driveway, and we're looking to that rim, and, and I said, is that is that regulation? Is that? And he said, yeah, that's 10 feet. I measured it. I said, are you kidding me? That's, that's 10 <laughs> feet? He said, yeah, I couldn't touch it. I said, I'm not sure I could touch the net. I didn't even want to try because I was afraid no. I'd hurt myself, but I used to be able to touch the rim. I could, like, dunk a golf ball with two fingers. I looked up at the rim of that basketball goal and I said, what? I used to be able to... Nah, that can't be 10 feet. <laughs> That's got to be, like, 25 feet up there. <laughs> I got such a terrible case of white man's disease and always have. I, I've never even come close. It's, it's an uh, unrealizable dream, so I've moved on to other dreams. Could you touch the net back in the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the oh, net, okay. sure. sure. Yeah. Can you now? I wouldn't try. I'd blow something out. It's practically guaranteed. <laughs> um, what Biden said yesterday, if you haven't heard it, buckle your seatbelts. It's a wild. Armstrong and Getty.
The United States Senate, designed to be the world's greatest deliberative body, has been rendered a shell of its former self. But as an institutionalist, I believe that the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Debate them. Vote. Let the majority prevail. And if that bare minimum is blocked, we have no option but to change the Senate rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that, which is part of what bothers me the most. I, mean, I hate the fact that he said these things. The fact that he doesn't believe them is is actually worse than if he did, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because it makes you just so cynical. He doesn't believe that. Joe Biden, what Joe Biden really believes is what he's said many times throughout his Senate career, which lasted like 40 years, is that without the um, 60 votes to pass things in the Senate, then the Senate is just the House and uh, and 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 we'll get into it later why why it's so important. But he doesn't believe this stuff. He's just saying it to try to fire up the Twitter left. To show up at uh, the midterms in 2022. We're leading up to one of the most ugly, over-the-top things any president's ever said. But first, clip 47. The next few days, when these bills come to a vote, will mark a turning point in this nation's history. We will choose. The issue is, will we choose? Democracy over autocracy. Light over shadows. Justice over injustice. I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote. Our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. So I want to try to make sure you understand the context of all this. He gave the speech in Georgia. Why Georgia? Because Georgia passed some new laws around voting that he called Jim Crow on steroids, Jim Crow Part 2. Um. And here's the reality of it from the dispatch. The bill that they passed in Georgia, and this is why he's pushing a federal takeover of elections, because Georgia passed voting rules, and he says, that's Jim Crow. That's the Jim Crow South coming back. We need to pass these bills to federally take over. The bill they passed in Georgia actually expands voting access for most Georgians, mandating precincts hold at least 17 days of early voting, including two Saturdays and Sundays leading up to the election. Uh, voting locations during this period must be open for at least eight hours and can operate between seven and seven if you want to. Several states, including Biden's home state of Delaware, do not have that open of voting. So it's as transparently false what he's saying as could possibly be. But he just said, you're a domestic enemy of the Constitution if you dare resist him. And what he's about to say What he's about to compare you to is if you are in favor of those Georgia laws, which are more lenient than his home state's laws, well, this is the kind of person you actually are. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. 
Three of the most evil racists in modern American history. That's who you are if you are in favor of Georgia getting to uh, run their elections in a way that's much more lenient than half the states in the country. If you're in favor of, say, asking people to show some sort of ID to to ensure the fidelity of the vote, you're the leader of the Confederacy. So here's I'm surprised he didn't go with Jesus and Satan. He was practically on the doorstep. What a load of rubbish. The Dispatch had a good rundown of his speech today, and Steve Hayes, who runs a Dispatch and is a never-Trumper, I mean, he he hates Trump. He, he, I'm guaranteed he'd wanted Biden over Trump. He said, Joe Biden's speech yesterday was filled with misleading comparisons, cheap demagoguery, and false claims, the worst of his presidency, from a guy who claimed unifying the country is in his whole soul. Yep, I would say it's the worst thing Joe Biden has done, uh, worst thing he's ever done in his career, and it's awful. It was one of the worst presidential speeches in American history, I think, certainly in the last century. Horrible. We haven't gone back from Trump. We've gone further down the road of playing to the the, 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 the wildest of our bases. Yeah. Well, and he didn't mean a word of it either. Which no. Is so troubling. No. Just a cynical attempt to fire up the Twitter left. It's awful. Awful all the way around. Um, if you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> if you put salt and pepper on your food... Before you taste it, you couldn't work for Thomas Edison. We'll have that story coming up for you. <laughs> well, later, of course not. Later this hour. <laughs> Makes you an idiot. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So back in the day when we first got acquainted with Craig Gottwalls, we called him Craig the Obamacare lawyer because he helped us understand what the legislation actually was and what it would mean as opposed to all the political spin flying around at the time. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, etc. I think it's worth mentioning that always came to the conclusion that Obamacare is going to lead to single-payer health care oh, yeah. all across America. It's inevitable. Get ready for it. Well, and Craig was uh, almost always 100% right. He is now known as Craig the Healthcare Guru, and he joins us to discuss Cal Unicornia leading the way, friends, toward bringing socialized health care to everyone, including illegal aliens. Uh, Craig Gottwald joins us now. Craig, how are you? I'm well. How are you, gentlemen? Good. So, unbeknownst to many people, Gavin Mussolini of Cal Unicornia proposed uh, something like universal health care the other day in the budget. Uh, what do you actually propose? What does it mean? Well, they got a couple things going on at the state level right now. Gavin's proposal was was kind of the quiet and the easy one because in the past, in the past two years, we extended Medi-Cal, which is California's version of Medicaid, and that that is the that is the government-sponsored health care, the taxpayer-funded health care that is designed to help the low income. Now, it is worth noting before we go ahead that in 1965, when the government passed Medicaid, it was designed to cover the lowest 2% of income folks in the United States. As of the latest government research, in California alone, 40% of all children are on Medicaid and 50% of all births are now covered by Medicaid. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, not to get too far off track, but that's why you got to fight things like Build Back Better. All those that's programs right. that they're trying to get started where it'll just help this many people for this long. These are how these things start. And you go from, it's going to cover 2% to it's 50%. Anyway, back to you, Craig. That's right. And 
One more fun fact on this. In 1965, when the government passed Medicare and Medicaid, the government actuaries, which I I heard earlier or on a podcast yesterday from you all, that that's one of the number one jobs in America. (laughs) That's right. Sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah. Government actuaries said, you know what? It's going to cost $12 billion in 1990. So they, they looked out, they said, this is this whole thing's going to cost 12 billion. Well, it actually cost $107 billion in 1990. They were all down by a factor of nine. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, we, whatever we're doing here in California, you can assume they're going to be off by a factor of nine as well. So back to what Newsom did with respect to unlawful residents. Um, we had two years ago, we had made it so that anybody here, whether they're legal or illegal, can have free government Medi-Cal through the age of 26. Last year, they said, well, you know, it's not fair to just give it to the young people. We ought to give it to the old people, too. So last year, they made it legal to give it to anybody over the age of 50. And this year, of course, they closed that donut hole because we don't want to discriminate against the middle-aged. And so now the proposal is everybody who's here illegally can get free Medicaid for all. Perfect example of entitlement creep and how, you know, those just outside the window can reasonably make the argument, hey, I'm just two years older. Why the hell am I getting screwed? That's why entitlements always grow like weeds. Yeah, it's just like going back to whatever that book was we've talked about where it was for Civil War veterans. Then it was Civil Civil War veterans' wives. Then it was for the children and the wives of Civil War. Well, anybody who was alive during the Civil War. And then pretty soon it's everybody. Um, Wow. Up to 26. Over 50, now close the gap, everybody. Incredible. Now everybody. Now everybody. And, and that's how you get from 2% of people are going to be covered by this low-income program to now half of all births are covered by the low-income program. And uh, everybody listening should know that Craig absolutely knows what he's saying when he uses the word free. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Free. You know, Craig, uh, one of the one of the most interesting and revealing things you've taught us through the years is that uh, whether Congress or a state legislature like California, one of the tricks they use is they say, well, this will be affordable because we will cut the compensation to doctors by 50 percent and they'll just take it. So the numbers work. But of course, that never happens because the legislature in question never makes that cut because no doctor would see any patients. What sort of hijinks have you seen in the California? California bill that uh, that make it uh, dishonest. Well, you 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 absolutely nailed it, Joe. That's that's exactly what happens. Is they say we're going to trim this, we're going to trim that, we're going to cut this. So so far in the California, so the Gavin, this is just the Gavin proposal. This one's the easy one. This one's going to pass. The one we're talking about here, where we're going to give free health care to all all people, whether they're here lawfully or not. The other one that Democrats proposed just recently is an even more aggressive. I would call it um, beyond Medicare, Medicare for all. So remember, it's, it's confusing. And then we got Medi-Cal, got Medicaid, which is low income, Medicare, which is for seniors. And at the federal level, they talk about Medicare for all, Medicare for all. But that's never going to happen, honestly, because Medicare costs something like $14,000 per citizen, whereas Medicaid only costs something like $4,000 per citizen because it reimburses doctors so low. What, what they're doing is they're setting the targets out at Medicare for all, but ultimately what they're going to do is what they've done exactly here with this illegal alien bill, and that's they're, they're going to slide in Medicaid for all because Medicaid, even though it would blow up our budget, would blow up our budget only to the tune of one-third of what Medicare for all would blow up our budget. So what California has done simultaneously with what Gavin's proposing is in the legislative level, we are proposing 
CalCare, which will be one step beyond Medicare for all because this will be a government-run agency and a board of government directors that will coordinate all of our health care in the state of California. This is the one that gets rid of insurance companies and says, basically, it's kind of like VA for California. So um, I believe that this is going to happen. Uh, it's just going to happen. Uh, get used to it. Bend over and take it. So what is what is the world going to look like in terms of access to doctors, number of doctors, care, that sort of stuff, in your prediction? Yeah, I wanted to share. I, I wanted to share a few. Just a, it, my opinion is, I guess, useful, right? But I wanted to share some statistics with you on this. If you right now ha- are seeking a disability and you have a disability and you have to get that disability through the Social Security Administration at the federal level, your average wait time to get paid is 633 days. Okay. That's how well government handles insurance. Now, one more just with respect to health care in the VA, because this California care thing is going to look a lot like the VA if they get it done. In 2017, the VA reported, hey, we've got wait times down to eight days. Great, because they had so many problems. Uh, Independent audit showed it was 27 days. Point being, guys, we're going to see these kinds of wait times or more, whether you're trying to get a claim paid to see a doctor, to see a specialist. Right now, because of all the people we've thrown into the Medicaid, kids can't see kids in the Medicaid system, of which half of them were born into the Medicaid system, can't get mental health uh, expertise because the reimbursements are too low. Oh, There's boy. too few mental health providers oh, in boy. there, and we can't we can't do it. Why that's rough? Do you see any sort of like I know that they have in Canada and Great Britain where they have uh, you know government paid for health care where you have a different sector for people who can afford it. Of, of private health care that, 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 that pops up in California and becomes uh, popular with a certain sector? Yes, uh, depending on how they ultimately craft this legislation, Jack. Sometimes, sometimes they talk about making that illegal in the state, and if oh. that happens, you're just going to have all the high-end folks leave the state. But uh, if they make it legal that you can buy up, of course that'll happen, and we'll have a bifurcation in California, and we'll have this the haves and the have-nots. In right, a would, would way. you end up with more inequality, inequity, whatever you yeah. want to call it, than than you have now. Right, and I think yeah, you'll see you, a lot you, of folks from the middle class leave just out of principle too, even you know if right. they're not the, the rich folks who who are being screwed directly. Not hey, to real- mention the taxes it's going to take to pay for all this. Well, right. But here's a question for you, Craig, and I ask this partly because I'm looking at an email from a listener whose daughter gets their insurance through essentially Obamacare and cannot find a single medical professional to take her business in the medium-sized California city she lives. She has to drive an hour away to a much larger city to even see a doctor. Will these laws compel force doctors and specialists and nurses to see people in spite of the the paltry uh, compensation rates well of course these the, the 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 proposed legislation does not state that but you're you're going to have to get there you're going to have to get there if you're going to make it work and there's under our constitution there's no way you can compel a doctor to not retire for example so it it just won't work um, but yes, ultimately, that's where you have to go. They're not ta- they're not saying that out loud, of course, and it's unconstitutional. Um, but that's the mess we'll be in. And in your, your your note with that listener on Obamacare is remember Obamacare is still reimbursing significantly more than Medicaid. And where I think all this is going to end up is Medicaid for all, and it's going to be that much worse because Medicaid for all is within the realm of possibility on the budget. On the budget, by the way, right now. 
$492,000 liability per citizen in the U.S. They like to talk about, you know, the $30 trillion debt, fine, but $30 trillion means nothing to you and me. What means something to you and me is that each of us owe $492,000 to bring us back to neutral on the U.S. debt clock. Isn't Medicaid the one that they say you're better off with no health insurance than that? There have been large university studies in the state of Oregon that showed that, that showed heart health outcomes and cancer outcomes were actually better if you didn't have that insurance because you weren't compelled to wait so long for such poor care. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, now you'll hear people uh, debate that point, obviously, uh, that, but, but there are studies that show that, repeated studies that show for certain kinds of care, you're better off with no insurance than with Medicaid. Craig Gottwall's online, the healthcare guru. Um, anything else of note that we should uh, cover before we let you go? God dang it, Craig! Well, I, I, Don't you I, ever I, have I, any I, good news? <laughs> I want to explain a piece of that, by the way, folks. And it's, I think it's something uh, Tim, Tim, the lawyer, Tim Sandifer has mentioned with you. When you start governmentizing everything, like you say, oh, there's a program for that, there's a program for that, you, you lose out on charity. So part of the reason that the expansion of Medicaid has made outcomes worse for those with Medicaid is that you see less charity care because hospital systems and doctors and so forth say, look, we don't need to do as much charity care because the government's paying for it. Mm. So, so that's why you end up with those kinds of situations. Unintended consequences. Well, and yes. keep in mind that uh, the the result of failure in the private sector is you get fired, you lose your accounts, etc., which is why a guy like Craig, for instance, he has to be right. He's not trying to pitch a political point of view because he wants to get you to the polls. He has to be right for his clients or he will lose. In the public se- sector and government, if you fail, you get a bigger budget. So you are going to see cascading failure in the uh, in, in the world of medicine. But. If I worked with one disability carrier that made you wait 633 days to get your disability money, I'd be fired in a second. That carrier would be out of business. But you know what? That's the standard in our U.S. Social Security system. Yeah. Thanks, Craig. It's complicated and troubling. Yeah, thanks a million, Craig. Good, good to talk to you. You're welcome, gents. Good to hear from you. This is going to happen in the state of California. Then it's going to happen nationally. Uh, everything is dragging it that direction. And, uh, you know, and, and people, because most people don't understand what it means, enough people are in favor of it. That it's going to happen. And you, you'll have a, you know, the, the older generation will die off, and then you won't have anybody left who remembers a time when health care was good and right. fast and affordable. Right. Yeah, I've got this story from these folks living in France, a beloved Armstrong and Giddy listener. I'm not sure I'll read it to you now because it's too depressing. Um, uh, and, and, you know, at the risk of making you, you know, put your head in the oven and don't do it because you can't get good medical care if you do. Um, you know, as Stephen Brill put it in his fabulous book, Bitter Pill, about the state of American medical care, the government is involved where it should be and not involved where it should be. Or not involved where it should. It's not involved where it should be involved, and it is involved where it shouldn't be involved. And it is so screwed up, and it has to do with lobbyists and people being bought off and the rest of it. I'm not sure there is any fixing it, right. since uh, among the public, the greatest will for quote unquote reform is for government health care, which will be a nightmare. Yeah, just and 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 I can understand. I mean, I deal with a lot of prescriptions with my son. I've had my health stuff in the last couple of years. It's easy to want to throw up your hands and say, fine, just have the government take it over, just so I don't have to go through this again to try to figure out how to get my prescription and the the insurance to pay for it, and how come it has to go to this pharmacy and blah, blah, blah. But it ain't going to be better. No. No. I 
all right then. All right then. Isn't that just dandy? You know, you can comment on any of these things on our text line at 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Check out this headline that CNN thought we all needed to hear. Five reasons you should not deliberately catch Omicron to, quote, get it over with. Well, obviously, you shouldn't deliberately catch Omicron. And should I? I mean, all the other late night hosts are doing it. I'm starting to think they had a secret sleepover and I wasn't invited. Yeah, I guess the more I think, originally it sounded like, okay, it makes sense. Then if I think about it a little longer, what's what's the upside of getting it so that I don't get it? It's like when I used to carry around change in my pocket. Remember that story? Yeah. I, I carefully crafted. I, I actually like put pen to paper to figure out, okay, if I carry a quarter, a nickel, and three pennies, and one dime or something, I had figured out. That way I'll always have the maximum perfect thing for the right change so that I don't get change back. And then right. a very smart friend of ours said, so you carry change every day to avoid having to carry change sometimes. Right. And I realized that that's stupid. So I'm getting Omicron on purpose to avoid possibly getting Omicron. I'm not sure that makes any sense. Well, especially because, uh, you know, whether vaccination or natural immunity, you're going to get it again anyway. You won't get very sick and you won't die, but you may get it again. You'll have to stay home again. Thomas Edison had a weird job interview trick that is backed by modern science. Thomas Edison, if he was thinking about hiring somebody for a job, he'd invite people over to his home for dinner. And then he would provide soup. I'm an anti-soupist, as you know, only because of the sounds people make when they eat soup. If I could wear earmuffs, I'd be fine with soup as a food. I have consumed soup three nights in a row, and I'm proud of it. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the sound of someone eating soup. It's well, freaking shut your disgusting. Ear holes. Did you say shut? That's not what it yes. sounded like. Shut. Okay. Uh, the re- so the soup test. This is the way it would go. He'd 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 bring soup to the table, and then he would um, he'd wait and see if they tasted it before adding salt or pepper. Edison immediately rejected premature seasoners as he reasoned he didn't want employees who relied on assumptions. In his opinion. Uh. Those who were content to abide by preconceived notions had no place in his business because the absence of curiosity and willingness to ask questions were antithetical to innovation. I don't think that's as crazy as it sounds. Well, most people don't think it is crazy. I I don't know about you could just be in the habit with your food, but well, maybe you're in the habit. You're in the habit of having a preconceived notion. Yeah, I guess. Right. It's all about assumptions as opposed to gathering data. Does this soup need salt? Let's gather data. Oh, my God. God dang it, that sound. <laughs> I've, what is that called? That's, there's a name for it. Misphonia? Uh, not a monopoeia. Um, uh, yeah, uh, misphonia. Is that it? it doesn't Something sound like that. Sounds misophonia. close. Misophonia. Uh, yeah. The people that are highly annoyed by certain noises. Crinkling of a plastic bottle and uh, slurping are my two biggest. Just make me want to jump through a window to my death. Crinkling it. of a plastic bottle. Oh, yeah, I got one right here. Huh. I don't know if I can crinkle it. 
Oh, I'm sure you can. There you go. Oh, yeah. Soothing to me. It's oh, soothing. Reminds me of a trickling creek. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but there you go. So that's kind of interesting. So the Silicon Valley types, you should hear that. Invite people over for soup, and then I uh, give them the eyeball. And as soon as they put a little pepper in there, having not tasted it, get out of my house! <laughs> right? You crackpot! Right, grab them by the back of the shirt and heave them out your front door. Give them the bums rush. Oh, my kids and I watched the famous Simpsons episode where uh, Homer sets out to best Thomas Edison with his inventions. That's oh. a gr- that's a great one. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Mitt Romney brought the fire yesterday in a response to Joe Biden's speech. Probably worth hearing a little bit about that in hour four. But I do not get hour four on my local radio station. Here's a bad as a guy who would put salt in his soup having not tasted it. Stop yelling at the customers. No, what you do instead is grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you like to get podcasts. We put the whole show up, uh, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. So grab it later. That's just fine. Homer came up with the little kind of sticks that come out of the back of your chair. So if you tilt back, you won't fall over. Yeah. Turn. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Invention, it's time has come. Indeed. Yeah. Mitt Romney, statesman. Plus, Donald Trump angering Trump fans who might drum him out of Trump world. And Getty.